And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Welcome one, welcome all. It is episode 46, recording this on you know several days throughout the week, but it's coming up on March 15th, which um, I have been informed is, um, what is this? It is Glute Appreciation Day. Uh... I have no words. I didn't know that was a thing. I don't I don't know why that needs to be a thing. I don't know who decides this stuff. Is there some kind of committee? You know, uh, when is, you know, bicep appreciation day? Or is this just a day where we can, you know, stare at asses and not feel guilty and have an excuse for doing it? I don't know. Anyway, I, I guess that's my, my service to you is to inform you that it's glute appreciation day. So hopefully you hear this in time. Go stare at some butts. Life will be good. Um, we had daylight savings time this weekend. I know everybody's a big fan of that. So I've <laughs> been listening to some, some conversations in other circles about, you know, what it would be like if we didn't have this time change where we, you know, lose an hour as we transition into spring and then we gain an extra hour as we uh, roll into fall. So, um, and there are some states that, you know, do without it. I think um, Indiana and Arizona, maybe not Indiana, Hawaii, I think, um, are some states that uh, don't observe this daylight saving time change. So, uh, there, there were some hypotheticals thrown out, like what would happen, you know, and, and there was, um, there's, I can't remember if it was a New York times article. Somebody did a, a pretty, a pretty deep dive into this and kind of, you know, looking at some almanac data and said, well, you know, in some cities, especially like in the East, uh, you have, you know, you would have without this time change, um, at some points during the year, you'd have sunrise at like four in the morning. And potentially, you know, I mean, it would still be dark at eight in the morning when kids are going to school, et cetera. And so there, there's some some concerns about that. And somebody else raised a great point, which is, you know, like New York and Washington, D.C. are in the eastern time zone. Well, so is Knoxville. Barely. Those those cities who are in the westernmost part, you know, sun rises in the east, those cities who, that are in the westernmost part of time zones um, really uh, experience, you know, the, the time change differently than those that are in the easternmost part of the time zone. So, you know, from, from Knoxville, if you drive, you know, 30, 40 minutes um, west towards Nashville, you'll, you'll transition over to central time. So um, anyway, I thought those were some interesting things to think about, totally unrelated to the topic at hand. So um, what's going on? On today, um, we've got a lot of stuff lined up here. I have our first guest on the podcast. I've been trying to get some people um, uh, in in for interviews, and um, actually have a couple lined up, uh, and I'm reaching out feelers for a couple more as well. Um, I've got some technical issues on that side that I need to work out, but I found a quick workaround here. So stay tuned, and we will get to our first guest shortly here. Um, full segments for today. We're going to talk about the. Um, you know, two, two long-standing debates in the bodybuilding world, which is free weights versus machines, and then also the um, pros and cons of hitting a clean bulk versus a dirty bulk. Not surprisingly, I got some opinions on the subject, so we're going to go over that. Uh, as far as what I've been doing this week, um, plenty. <laughs> I've been keeping plenty busy. Um, and I always feel a little, um, you know, a, a little weird, like, trying to go over like my week in summary here. Um, but then it realized, I kind of realized and had an epiphany, you know, being an online coach is weird. 
like my, my daily routine is a lot different from most people who work like a typical nine to five job or even an atypical job. I mean, you know, everybody's life is a little bit different. So I went ahead and did a little expose on Instagram yesterday, which would have been Wednesday the 14th, um, and posted it in my story all day long, um, which is just a day in the life. And I think I ended up with like 20 or 25 posts in there, something like that. So basically anything that was of relevance, I just posted it. So you can kind of see what it's like going through my day. There are some stretches there where uh, there's not a whole lot happening because it's just me grinding away at the computer, working on client updates and feedback and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's not necessarily the most thrilling thing in the world, but I think it can be insightful, like, you know, those who I'm working with or somebody who's working with an online coach, like, what are they doing all day? So you can kind of see what my day looks like. And because those Instagram stories are only good for 24 hours, I went ahead and tagged all of those posts as highlights. So if you go to um, my profile and look under the highlights section, like right below the uh, the bio that I write, there's two sections in there for highlights. There's that one. I also put some project stuff up that I've been working on because one of my passions also is woodworking. Um and it's, it's unrelated to most of the stuff that I put up on my Instagram profile. But, you know, I'll throw some stuff in the stories every now and then if I'm working on something. And uh, I did that this last week. Our, our old dog is stuck in the bathroom behind me. <laughs> and she shut the door on herself. I got to go fish her out in a minute. That's too funny. Um, I worked on a couple projects for my wife specifically, so I just kind of documented what I was doing there. Nothing too fancy. Um, so go go check out the the day in the life stuff, um, and you can kind of see, you know, get a little glimpse into my own little world, such as it is. Um, and one of the things that I, I did post on there, and I've been working on this throughout the week, is some new podcast music. So the song that you hear. Um, as the intro and then also a brief snippet of it as the transition between songs. I had somebody actually ask me about that. Like what, what was that song? Cause they liked it and they wanted to download it. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you don't. I, I made that in garage band. That's just me. So <laughs> it's a, it's a Darren star original such as it is. Um, but it doesn't feature me playing. It's just program stuff like, you know, auto riff stuff on garage band. So, um, I wanted to put together some new stuff and you know, uh, I'm a musician. So I'm like, well, why don't I play on some stuff? So I'm going to, uh, what I've been working on is creating some backing tracks in GarageBand, and then I'm going to do some piano and key work on top of that. So I'm putting some of that stuff together just because I like to mix it up every now and then. Um, let's talk about the poll from last week. I had much better turnout this time, so I want to keep that going. So um, my, my goal is I want more votes on this every week. So part of that is on me to make sure, A, you know there's a question up there, and then B, to make it interesting enough that you want to respond to. So you know that that's one of the things that I always struggle with is finding out, you know, What's relevant to people? Like, I know what kind of questions I get asked on a regular basis, but that's not necessarily the burning topic at hand. So um, I do what I can. And a lot of the times, it's just stuff that I'm curious about. Like, I want to see what people are doing. Like this one that we had last week. So the question was, how often do you take a rest day? Coming out on top with 37% once a week, like clockwork. Um, coming in second, <laughs> rest day, WTF, 27%. So already we are at you know about two-thirds of the people either hit, hitting uh, a rest day weekly or not at all. <laughs> and then um, coming in tied at 13% every three to four days or every five to six days. So, you know, about a quarter of you, you know, a little bit more frequently than once a week. Um, and then uh, we had 10% also saying um, at least once every two weeks. So uh, a pretty, pretty varied mix there, um, which is great rather than like the unanimous stuff that we've been having before the last couple poll questions regarding judging and, and show logistics and things like that. So I like this, this is much better. So um, most of you, um, 
hitting it, you know, if we if we combine some things here, so 50% of people taking a rest day every five to seven days. So that's cool. That's good. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that there's a right or wrong answer for this. I think if you don't take rest days, it is to your detriment. Trust me, I've been in that category. So if, if you're if you are in that 27 percent block of people who are like rest day, WTF, um, take one every now and then. I'm not telling you you got to take every third day off or anything like that, but give yourself a little bit of a break. You know, you will be experiencing a decline in performance that may be imperceptible enough that you just never even really notice it's happening. And then you take a rest day or two, God forbid. And it's like, holy crap. It's like, I'm going back into the gym for the first time, recharge the batteries a little bit, give your, uh, uh, you know, try and reduce adrenal fatigue, let your nervous system recover a little bit. It's, it's helpful. So a new poll up for this week. What I'm curious about now is how are we training our legs? Um, and not really like a lot of specifics or anything, but simply, you know, what is your general big picture approach to training legs? So I have got six options here. Um, in uh, ascending order of emphasis. So option number one, skip them. Um, so I want you to be honest. If that's you, I mean, clearly this is an anonymous poll. There's no judging involved. I'm, I may call out people who vote on that block um, next week if you're skipping them, <clears throat> but not by name. So you know, you're, you're safe. So be honest. If you skip them, vote it. Um, the other options, um, once a week, a full, hard, long session once a week. Um, next option, two comprehensive sessions. So like the first one, but hitting it twice a week instead of just once. Another option, well, two sessions, but splitting up muscle groups. So maybe like a quad ham emphasis or a quad posterior chain emphasis. Um, another option, two sessions, but mixing up um, the, the weights. So like one lighter day, one heavier day. That's another one. And then the other option is more than twice weekly, especially if you want like a day for quads, a day for ham a day for glutes, um, or maybe three days for glutes. Maybe you hit glutes every day. I don't know, whatever. That's your option there. So show me what you're doing. Let, let me know about it, and uh, we will uh, we'll discuss those results next week. Notice I did not give you an answer for other. I'd like you to find one of these categories that best fits what you typically do most often. Like if you're on a split right now where you're only hitting legs once, but usually you hit them twice, go for that. Go, go with what's more typical, not with what you're doing right now. And also not necessarily what you prefer. Like, <laughs> I don't necessarily try, I don't necessarily love training legs, so I'd love to just say skip them, but I don't. I'm hitting them, you know, at this point more than twice weekly. Um, so, and those, those aren't necessarily long sessions, but you know, quads, I'm hitting, I'm hitting quads with something five days a week currently just because they need it. Um, and I'm not looking to obliterate or annihilate them. You know, they get their recovery and I feel it and they're responding. So I'm happy with that. All right. So, um, we've got, uh, we've got the regular topics here. We're going to do music of the week. We're going to do, um, uh, have some closing, closing thoughts at the very end. And then, uh, we're going to jump into a pet peeve as well. So let's get to that right now. It's time for the airing of grievances, pet peeve of the week. Okay, so anyone who knows me or has been listening to this podcast for any length of time knows that, you know, I, I'm a guy, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know, maybe one-eighth Vulcan. Um, you know, I like logic. I like things that make sense. I like things that, you know, seem to have a, a reason for being. Um, and if something doesn't, it really grates on my nerves. So... <laughs> My pet peeve of the week this week is a, it's a very simple one. And I, I know realistically I could probably, if I really wanted to, I could make this whole podcast just about pet peeves. Just I, I have a lot of them. I really do from like, you know, loading the dishwasher incorrectly. I mean, you know, I, 
I, I like things organized. I like symmetry in the dishwasher. Never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go off on a huge tangent here. The gym-related pet peeve of the week that I have here, very simple. Sleeveless hoodies. W-T-F. Now, a hoodie, by its very existence, I believe the whole point is to keep you warm when it's cold. So, why would you take the sleeves off of it unless you're just, you know, a dork and you got to show off the guns, but you know, and also I've never seen anybody wear a sleeveless hoodie with the hood up. Um, if they did, I think I would probably just be even more enraged by this. Um, this falls under the category of things that really shouldn't exist. It's kind of like, you know, wearing, um, wearing boots while you're wearing shorts that kind of thing, and like a tank top. I think that was a fashion thing in the early 2000s, uh, which, again, same thing. Sleeveless hoodies, I'm, I'm sure somebody out there is going to enlighten me. Like, there's something that, like, you know, oh, it's just, you know, the, the hoodie material, it's thicker, so you sweat more, and blah, blah, blah. The sleeves are gone because of it. I can't even think of a possible reason why. I, I just don't get it. I don't. So somebody, as much as this is a pet peeve, this is also a cry for help. So somebody, please explain this to me. Justify the existence of this fashion abomination in some way so that I can find a little bit of inner peace and stop being just apoplectic at the existence of this piece of clothing. Somebody explain it to me. Bring me into the loop. Clue me in, please. I'm begging you. Get ready to rock. It's... Music of the Week. Okay, so for Music of the Week this week, um, we're going to make history here on the drop set and have our first ever guest uh, in studio, I guess we could call it. So I would like to introduce everybody, all the listeners out there, to my lovely wife, Miss Dina Kirk. Yeehaw! <laughs> Yeehaw, there she is. So um, I have tasked her with putting together a workout playlist because um, I have put together several that are um, you can catch those all on my Spotify account if you go to Spotify just type in five star physique it'll be there and I'm going to plug this one in there as well so um, I just wanted to talk to Dean and have her kind of step us through this whole thing not necessarily blow by blow but um, what was your uh, what was your goal you know I asked you to put this together well, my what, goal what you was to make a playlist and I didn't know I'd have to talk about it later <laughs> It's surprise. Everybody's got to talk about it. So I, I just know that when I when I do work out, because I don't work out like my husband does, but when I do work out, it makes such a difference in how hard I go if I like what I'm listening to. So There are studies that have been done about that, in fact. So mo most of my songs are a little old school. But old school. They're very eclectic. Um, I'm seeing everything from Florence and the Machine to Eminem to The Greatest Show. Yeah. So you're kind of all over the place. Zeppelin, yes. Mm -hmm. Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson, because everybody needs some Marilyn Manson in their workout playlist. <laughs> but the first, the first song is um, Imogene Heap. Imogene Heap. Imogene Heap, I think. Um, that's mostly a, a warm-up song. Have and you I, got it in you? I'm not familiar with that one. Is that like slower tempo or just a little bit more relaxed, casual? Yeah, okay. more so than the rest of these. Okay, so you're warming up. You, you don't want to pull something on your first set, so you got to kind of work into it a little well, bit. Well, and it's have you got it in you? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, See, I listen to lyrics a lot. Yeah, that, that's where Dini and I really differ because I am all about the instrumentation and the groove and the feel of a song, and she actually listens to the stuff that's being said. So, well, yeah, but they're not. It's not so important in the Red Hot Chili Pepper song that's up next. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel a Blue Man Group. Nice. I like that. 
um, Immigrant Song, Black Crows, Joe Cocker. I mean, it really does kind of run the gamut. And that's why I wanted you to put this playlist together because you have a very broad and eclectic musical taste. Mine is a little bit more pigeonholed. Like when I put together playlists, it's all like hard rock, screaming, blah, blah, blah. And I knew that you would provide something that had a little bit more color into it. And you probably have no idea what they're screaming also. I mean, I, I know. I know the words. I don't stop and listen and reflect upon them. It's like, I don't, what is the deeper meaning of this Pantera song? What's well, he really getting into that's here? That's not what this playlist is about. Um, <laughs> but most of them are songs that people recognize. Uh, there is a wild card in there that Francis Dun- Dunnery tune, King of the Blues. It just <laughs> motivates me. And it's, it's a little weird, but you'll see why when you listen to it. <laughs> cool. I'm going to check this out tomorrow, I think. I mean, I, I know most of these songs. And if I was going to put together a playlist, I, I won't lie. Like very few of these would have been in my brain to put on there, but I think it works. Well, Paradise by the Dashboard Light is really good, I've discovered, for high-intensity intervals. Yes. <laughs> because it's up and down and up and down. It really is. Yeah, yeah. No, this is great. This is really good. And, you know, that's that's another reason I wanted to, to have you do this, because I knew that you'd open my eyes to some stuff. And hopefully, you know, the people out there will check this out and they can take a listen to any Any final parting shots you want to throw for anybody out there? No, just... Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Well, thank you. And uh, something tells me because, you know, you are, um, like all good podcast guests, available. So uh, you might come back on here again. Would you be open to that? Well, it's spring break, so I'm only available this week. Well, maybe I'll record a segment at night or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The look I got there said distinctly, maybe not. Is this live? No. Oh, good. No. We're not going to edit this, though. Okay. Okay, that was kind of fun. Um, that was, uh, you know, today is Thursday. I am recording this segment. You know, I record these segments throughout the week. Um, that was recorded yesterday. I said I was going to check it out. I did. Um, I like that playlist. It was good. You know, it's stuff that, you know, like I said, it's not not chock full of songs that would be my go-to for a workout playlist, but I started off with cardio and then I worked into some leg stuff today. It really worked. I really liked it. And then, you know, once the playlist was over, it's about an hour and 10 minutes. I was there longer than that. So then I just went straight back into some Metallica. So, you know, I am predictable if nothing else, but I would strongly encourage you to try that out. Um, again, if you are on Spotify, just search five star physique, all one word, you'll find my profile and that playlist is linked in there. So, uh, first main topic today, what I want to talk about is, um, you know, a long-standing debate, and you know, one one of my clients who I know is going to listen to this. Hi, Trish. This is not about you. We talked about this last week, and you just kind of put the bug in my head. But this has been brewing for a while, and there are other encounters and other conversations that I've had with former clients and just discussions that I've seen online that make me realize, you know, we really need to address this. And that discussion is free weights versus machines. So this is something that may seem kind of dunderheaded, um, you know, like this, this has been beat to death, etc. But by the same token, I think it's worth digging in a little bit deeper. So I wanted to do that today. So um, a lot of the arguments are, you know, with um, free weights, you know, they just don't feel if you go with machines, I'll start there, like the counter argument against machines is that um, they don't, uh, they don't represent uh, natural movement or a proper range of motion. Um, also perhaps one of the arguments that you'll see is, or hear is that, you know, um, the, the machine does all the stabilizing for you. So you're not working the stabilizer muscles and you want to talk about pet peeve, those two words, stabilizer muscles, they are one of, that's one of my biggest annoyances. Um, there, there is every muscle is a stabilizer muscle. Let's just be clear on that. So 
Yeah. I mean, a machine will provide a little bit more stability throughout, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not training as effectively if you use machines. Now, I also wouldn't say that any one approach is correct. Like if you want to be a good bodybuilder, and once again, for the billionth time, I'm going to define bodybuilder as anyone who trains for aesthetic purposes. Like we're trying to build muscle, we're trying to control body fat as well. If you do that, regardless of whether you're a competitor or not, you're a bodybuilder. So any bodybuilder who limits themselves and says, I'm just going to use free weights, I'm just going to use machines, you are missing out and you shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, the, the idea is, you know, use every tool in the belt. They all have a purpose, except for a BOSU ball. That is a worthless piece of shit. So why would you limit yourself to just free weights? Or conversely, if you're on the other side of the equation, why would you limit yourself to just machines? So um, typically, a, a a movement on a machine, you, you could say, you know, this is, you could make a case, and it really depends on your, your way of thinking, and I guess your experience level to some degree, is that a machine could be harder than a free weight exercise, or, you know, a machine could be easier because the machine is doing a lot of the controlling for you. Um, oftentimes, and there isn't a direct correlation between these between these numbers because you could say I'm doing a dumbbell shoulder press with 50 pound dumbbells, but on a machine I'm going to use 120 pounds. So does that mean you're stronger on the machine? No, it doesn't because again, we've talked about this before, that number on the weight stack in the machine has no real correlation necessarily to the amount of force that's required in order to move it. Like if you've got a dumbbell in your hand and you've got to push it up and it's a 50 pound dumbbell, you know, it requires 50 pounds of force to push that up. So, um, the, the same is not necessarily true because of the dynamics involved in the construction of these machines, and that includes cable stacks, it includes plate-loaded, it includes selectorized machines. You know, how much does the apparatus actually weigh, like the handle that you're moving? How much friction is involved? You know, the, the pulleys involved are going to change things up considerably as well, and pretty much, you know, most machines, especially if they're selectorized, they have pulleys in them, so... Um, you can't necessarily use that. And you'll notice that like if you do leg extensions on one machine and it's 50 pounds and you go and do it on another machine and it's 50 pounds, you're going to notice mo more than likely the difficulty is not the same. One is going to feel lighter or heavier than the other. So um, discount the numbers completely. And it's not just, well, I can do more weight uh, on the machine or I can do more weight free weight. So that, that doesn't matter. You know, perceived difficulty matters much more than the actual poundage or the numbers. So for logging purposes, you know, if, if you're... Um, um, if your workout calls for, you know, dumbbell shoulder press, but you know, you can't find a place to sit. Um, so there, there, you know, there's no place, no, no real, well, maybe it would be better to go the other way. It calls for a Smith machine shoulder press, but the Smith machine's taken. So you go and do dumbbells instead. Um, you know, you need to make a note of that in your log rather than just letting those numbers in there as an outlier, you know, make a note did with dumbbells or something just because the exercises are completely and totally different. Even though the mechanics are very similar, the, the corresponding weights cannot, you know, they're not even close to the same necessarily. So, um, a few things uh, about machines uh, because they do have a fixed movement path for the most part. You will find some machines. There are some um, arsenal machines in the gym where I go to. I've seen some Cybex Eagle machines that have variability built into them as well, like a chest press machine that also allows you to adduct um, when you press out, like bring the hands together, like the arms actually come forward and they have some variability to them. Um, that's a nice touch, um, but most machines are fairly fixed in their path. So, um, 
the the problem is you go with just machines and you forget how to actually like control a weight. So you're doing machine presses, machine presses, machine presses, or even just barbell presses, you know, because they're, um, it, it's, it's kind of similar in that you've got one hand working to help stabilize the other. They're working in concert. And then you go to dumbbells and it's a totally different ball game. So that's why, you know, if you can bench 200 pounds with a barbell, you're, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to bench with 100-pound dumbbells. You know, so um, typically it's going to be less than that. So uh, the the argument was made also that um, well, free weight exercises are are more true to life and they're more more functional. Um, I got into this with a client before, and you know he was doing a, a shoulder press with dumbbells standing. And I didn't like what I was seeing there. And like, you should do it seated. You know, let, let's just start there. Let's, you know, get a little bit of stability um, built into your body. And he, he said, well, I always like to do it standing just because it's more, you know, it's more functional. It's, it's a more realistic, you know, movement. I'm like, that's great, but it doesn't look good. Like you're not doing it correctly. So I want you to sit down, stabilize the shoulder girdle a little bit, find some weight that you can move and actually focus on the shoulders. And then, you know, there's nothing wrong with a standing press. There's something wrong with the standing press the way I'm seeing you do it though. So we need to, so just because something is a free weight doesn't necessarily mean it's correct. The, the thing about free weights is, you know, there's a lot more variability built into them and there's a lot more chance to do stuff incorrectly. You get in a machine, assuming it's set correctly, you know, the machine kind of tells you how to do the movement just by virtue of how it, how it goes through um, its movement path and its arc. So, you know, clearly that doesn't necessarily mean that you just get in there and it's automatically going to be effective. You still got to focus on mind muscle connection. It's not going to do that for you, but it sets you up a little bit easier. So I, I don't necessarily say that when somebody's just starting out, Oh, they need to stick with machines or we need to learn how to do this with free weights first. It's like, you know, they're, they're all tools in the belt and there's no reason why, we should focus just on one side of that belt. I want to do everything. And another thing, and I've had, I've gotten into this with clients as well is they really want to do like free weight stuff. And you know, they, they say, you know, I really prefer doing free weight exercises. Okay, great. That's not what you're going to do because you know, part of hiring a coach is buying into their, their philosophy. And so I'm explaining that. And over the course of 46 episodes, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of explaining my overall philosophy with a lot of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, assuming you've got access to it, we're going to use free weights. We're going to use machines too, because let me keep saying this, every tool in the belt, we want to use them all. So, um, if you're giving me some pushback on something like that, I'm going to call a timeout, especially if we're just in like the preliminary conversation phase and, uh, I'm going to have a timeout and I'm going to want to make sure that you're coachable because if you're, if you're telling me like, I really just want to stick with free weight exercises. Great. Don't hire a coach. That's going to have you do other stuff then because you're hiring a coach. That's an acknowledgement that you need some help or you want some assistance to get to where you want to go with regards to your physique. So why would you then set terms saying, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. That just tells me that you're going to be difficult and uncoachable. And I'm probably not going to want to go, go down that road because I've been down that road before and it's frustrating and I don't enjoy it. And you know, I, part, part of being what I do is, is I can kind of be selective with people and I can kind of say, yeah, I don't think this is a good fit, you know, and, and, to be clear also, the coach that I've hired, I have some differences of opinion with what I think is effective and what he wants me to do. I do what he wants me to do, and I have a conversation with about it regularly. So, you know, if I just wanted to keep doing what I'm doing, I would continue looking the way that I do because my habits and my preferences have gotten me to where I am now, and I'm not satisfied with that. So I need somebody who's going to pull me outside of my comfort zone. 
So uh, don't limit yourself to just free weights or just machines. Everything, this goes back to something I've said before as well, everything works if you work intensely. So you can have a kick-ass workout that is all free weights. You can have a kick-ass workout that is just machines. But if you stay in those ranges and don't use all of the tools that are available to you, you're going to find yourself limited a little bit. This is a conversation that I have with people who work out in home gyms uh, eventually as well. We can do some stuff, but eventually, you know, you you're probably going to get bored if you've got like four pieces of equipment. I mean, we can be creative and do some stuff, but you know, there's only so much we can do with all this stuff. Like it would be nice to have access to a commercial facility that has, you know, uh, maybe more comprehensive, um, free weights, uh, maybe has some machines in it, et cetera. So, you know, don't pigeonhole yourself. That's the big thing. What I want to, what I really want you to get out of this conversation is to open up your mind a little bit. And if you think, like this is more effective. That's more effective. You know, don't a lot of people, they, they want to squat in a Smith machine, squat with a barbell. Come on. I mean, yes, it's harder. I know that, but harder is good. Um, or conversely, if, if you're always in, if you're always squatting with a free weight and I'm like, your form doesn't really look right. Let's get you in a Smith machine. Let's make sure that your feet are positioned correctly. I want you to feel comfortable with your balance and make sure that you feel comfortable driving your hips way back behind you, shifting, shifting your weight onto your heels. Let's see it. Let's make sure that looks correctly. I've had pushback from people. I don't want to squat in the Smith machine. Shut up. Just do it. I'm not saying we're always going to do that, but it's a tool. It's a troubleshooting tool in this case. But Smith machine squats also can be really, really helpful because especially, you know, the mechanics can be very similar. Now, if you're a power lifter, I'm not going to put you in a Smith machine just because it really changes the game. But for bodybuilding, we can play around with foot positioning. We can play around with pauses a little bit more. We can be more aggressive on weight because it's self-spotting, especially if you work out in a gym where the squat racks don't have appropriate spotting mechanisms in them. There are plenty of those gyms out there. So um, there are a lot of reasons why you might want to take advantage of machines. Um, in a given workout, pretty much always I'm going to do a mixture. I'm going to do some free weights. I am going to do some machines as well. And if I if I have a workout where it's it's all machines or it's all free weights, that's an anomaly. But also it's because I'm trying to accomplish something specific. Like, um, well, I like, like, like I really want to focus on like core control and stability if I'm doing an entirely um, free weight chest or shoulder workout. Um, really trying to focus on, you know, uh, soft tissue, um, uh, soft tissue strengthening. If I'm doing like an, an entire workout for arms, it's all dumbbells. So, you know, th there are advantages both ways. Um, but machines can accomplish a lot of things that free weights can't, uh, as well. So, um, there's no need to limit yourself. Machines are productive. If it feels easier, great make it harder. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're a beast and you've just, you've just, you know, maxed out the weight stack on every exercise, that's one thing, but that's probably not always the case. You know, we can always go heavier. You can always go slower. You can squeeze harder. You can make sure you're getting full range of motion, all of those things. So the argument that, well, machines are easier. That doesn't hold water for me. Um, because if it is easier, clearly you're just not pushing yourself hard enough. So that lies with you, but it's something that you can fix. That's not necessarily a fundamental flaw in the machine. That being said, there are some machines out there that are poorly designed and are not good. Like one of the things that I typically will stay away from is a selectorized leg press. I just don't find that to be useful for anything other than calf raises. Um, that's the kind where 
you know, by selectorized, I mean you stick a pin in the weight stack to determine the weight. Um, a selectorized leg press, most of those, the um, the foot plate is stationary, and instead you move the seat, which means you've got to you fix your range of motion based on the setting where you put the seat. Um, which I, I just don't like that. I think it's a poor mechanism. It forces you to really contort yourself um, to get in there at the start if you want proper range of motion. Um, and and typically, just the way that those things are set up is just you know it makes it harder to feel what you're doing um so if you want to do like some really high rep stuff in there that could be helpful um and like i said they're good for calf raises but otherwise i'm just not a big fan um and another thing a lot of um tricep dip machines um some of those are my favorite exercise and some of them are like this thing is a piece of trash um there's one from life fitness that's common these days that i really really dislike because of the seat positioning on it it really forces you into a, a position that i feel de-emphasizes the triceps um just terrible design i don't like it so that's one thing that you have to take into consideration is, you know, some machines are just not well designed. So, but what you need to have is enough awareness to know when you're working the muscle, how effectively you're working it, how hard you're able to work at work it. And if you feel the machine is limiting you in some way, then all right, it might be worth getting a second opinion on that. Like, you know, if you've got a coach, send them a video, see if they've got an opinion on it. Um, but it, it may just be something where it's like, okay, this particular machine, that's not good. Um, now with free weights, you don't have that problem because you're in control of pretty much everything. But still, there's a lot of variables in execution on free weight exercises um, where you could certainly do something that's, you know, really, really incorrect or ineffective. So bottom line, main point that I want to emphasize here is everything's good with, with a couple small exceptions and don't limit yourself. And if you find yourself really saying like, well, I really prefer this, I really prefer that, look at yourself, evaluate where you are physique-wise, and just realize that your preferences, your habits, your choices, your routines have gotten you here. So it might be worth expanding your horizon a little bit, exploring a little bit more. You know, if you've routinely avoided machine work, emphasize it for a little while. You know, take your weeks, take your dislikes and turn them into strengths and, uh, and things that you, you have learned how to like and enjoy. That's what I'd like you to take from this. And our second hot issue debate for the week is the clean bulk versus dirty bulk argument. One thing that you may have discovered by now is that I don't like to just paint out all the answers for you just because I don't feel that a lot of these things really deserve really quick, easy answers. What I like to do instead is have you think about things and then, you know, you know maybe it's a starting point for a discussion. Um, but there aren't necessarily, th this is one especially, I think, you know, the machines versus free weights debate is a little bit more clear. Like, everything has a purpose for the most part. Um, this one, however, a little bit different. Um, there are certainly good arguments for and against a dirty bulk. Let's start with, let's define those two things. First of all, a, a, a clean bulk is typically going to be something and it, this may or may not be a point of emphasis with most people, but what I'm going to say is something that's a little bit more calorically conservative. Um, and you may also, you know, continue doing cardio throughout this with the intention of gaining weight, but, you know, we want just lean gains. So um, that would be the, the advocate here. So I, I don't necessarily say clean bulk to mean just clean foods. Like you could certainly do this on a uh, flexible macro-based structure and still incorporate some, you know, quote-unquote dirty stuff. Um, and that would still fall under um, the, the 
definition of what I'm calling a clean bulk here. Just a little bit more calorically conservative, probably still maintaining some cardio as well. Versus a dirty bulk, which does not necessarily mean donuts and pizza every day. You could certainly have a dirty bulk on sweet potatoes and chicken, but just a ton of it. So like a really aggressive caloric surplus. And at the extreme end, I will say that's also going to be accompanied by a lack of cardio. So... Uh, the idea here being we're trying to gain weight. We know it's not all going to be productive, but we're trying to gain weight. The latter of those, the dirty bulk, is probably the more traditional bodybuilding route. So we have, you know, especially if you look at male bodybuilders, there are some really wild weight swings um, throughout, uh, you know, a bulk phase, then down to uh, cutting into like pre-contest phase. Pretty significant weight swings. I've worked with guys who have, you know, swung as much as 55 pounds, which is pretty extreme. I know there are others out there that have been, you know, greater than that. I don't think that going through those swings uh, to, to that extent, to those extremes, um, frequently or regularly is a particularly healthy way to go about doing this. So I will throw that out there. Um, but nonetheless, I think there is value in a dirty bulk. I don't always encourage this, and it depends on the person. So when I am working with somebody and we're trying to figure out how we want to do this, well, the one thing that I always maintain is that when you're doing a bulk, regardless of how you do it, nothing changes as far as the stuff that I want to know about. I still want to see progress photos. I still want to see weigh-ins. I want to track this stuff and just make sure that, you know, even if it is a dirty bulk, it's not super dirty. Like it's not every pound at all cost, we got to keep things measured. If we're gaining four or five pounds in a week, that's just a, a complete lack of control. And 80, 90% of that weight is going to have to come off. So there, there are limits to everything. But, you know, if you're on a dirty bulk and you're gaining a pound a week, that's pretty aggressive. You know, I mean, typically, you know, well, that, that, that's fairly aggressive. A, a pound and a half a week, now yeah, we're, we're getting up there, especially if it's consistent, consistent and steady. Like if you gain a pound and a half one week and then nothing the next week, you know, that averages out to three quarters of a pound a week. So, you know, do the math. Don't make rash decisions right off the bat just because, especially if you increase carbs, with that you're going to increase your, your nominal water retention as well. So you're going to carry more weight that's not necessarily more fat. So, You've got to kind of read between the lines um, when tracking those variables and keep an eye on the photos, keep an eye on what you see and just keep in mind that, you know, when you, when you first, you know, like if you come out of a cut, you're nice and lean, you start throwing the carbs back in, calories are up, you're going to feel and look even more beastly than you did when you're cut because you're super full, but you're going to spill over before too long. And you've got to just be mindful of that and know that it's going to happen and just watch for it and don't get too carried away with things. So when I'm evaluating how I want someone to proceed, like if we're going to go, you know, more of the clean route, more of the dirty route, it's not really a binary choice either. You can incorporate elements of both. Like you can be a little bit more aggressive with your caloric surplus, but still maintain doing some cardio. Um, or you can be more conservative and, and cut cardio out just to try and save some energy. You know, that, that would be a compromise between the two. What I'm thinking about is overall mentally, what's going to work for somebody. Let me give you an example from me. I've done both before. I'm definitely more of a dirty bulk kind of guy on a clean bulk. Um, this, this comes down to my patience level. Like I have been described as being an incredibly patient individual. And I would say in most cases that is correct. When it comes to my physique, I am not. I like seeing more dramatic swings. So 
if I am at just like a very, very small caloric surplus, um, I will gain muscle, but it's going to be at a rate that is so slow as to be almost imperceptible. Um, and so when that happens and I keep seeing things like they're the same week after week after week, and maybe if I squint, there's a little something, I don't know, but at the same time I can tell I'm not leaning out. So, you know, there's a little bit of loss in detail. That's very unmotivating for me because I get in my head and I overthink it. And that's just where my brain goes. I've tried to change that thought pattern and I have to some extent, but that's still kind of by default how my brain works versus if I am, if I'm on more of a dirty bulk, a more aggressive bulk, uh, a more aggressive caloric surplus, um, I see the scale number go up faster. You know, not astronomically, but at a more appreciable rate. I can feel the difference. I can see the difference in the gym. Like you know, the, not necessarily that I'm you know maxing out weight on everything, but I can feel like okay, this weight is moving a little bit easier than it did three, four weeks ago. That's good. Um, so it's time to increase there. I can feel it. It's more measurable progression that I don't necessarily need an electron microscope to see. You know, it, it's just, it's, it's evident. I know it's not all clean. I'm not lying to myself and saying, Hey, I'm up 15 pounds. That's 15 pounds of muscle. Come on, give me a break. No, but if I can put on 15 pounds and have, you know, like two or three of those pounds be pounds I can keep, that is awesome. I mean, <laughs> that is great. One thing about being a bodybuilder, as we have defined many times in the past is that, you know, we're pretty good at manipulating body fat. So you don't need to be afraid of putting on a pound here and there. It's not the end of the world, an unwanted pound, I mean, because we can get that off. You know, we, we understand diet, we understand discipline. Um, we know that cardio is part of the game. Now, that being said, if you compete at a stage weight of 180 pounds and you bulk up to 245 pounds in your off season, you're creating a big ass hole you're going to have to dig yourself out of. So there are limits and I don't want to encourage people to just like shoot for the stars, you know, get that number up as high as you can. There's a point where you, your, your surplus and your extra poundage is not productive. You've got to find a happy medium there. And what you're doing is guaranteeing that you're going to be prepping for longer or at a greater caloric deficit or um, doing more cardio. And so the more fat you put on, the more you kind of, uh, set yourself up for a pre-contest cut that is going to risk a little bit more muscle loss, which you know for what we do should be non-negotiable. So you've got to think about a rate of loss that that is you know reasonable and acceptable. How long your prep is, and then kind of go from there. And th this is always easier after you've been through a, a pre-contest cycle once or a cut. You've been on stage or you've you've reached your goal date. You know what your weight was. You've got photos to back that up. So you can say, okay, I was super super lean um, at you know 180 pounds. That looked great. You know I, my legs probably could have used a little bit more detail. So maybe if I could have shot for you know 177, 178, that might have made a difference. So mental note put that in the logbook, and then we start on our growth phase. We know that when we come out of this, we're going to cut for 16 weeks. Um, and we, we also know that our, our rate of loss was, you know, right about, you know, let's, let's say we average it out, you know, the, where you started at before, where you finished at, and it was 16 weeks, blah, blah. Let's just say it was 1.3 pounds per week is what your, your average loss was just based on the total pounds that you lost before. So you multiply that by 16 and you're like, you know, about 21 pounds. 
So you know what you've been capable of before. You can also assess your previous cut and say, well, you know, I, I had to get a little bit more aggressive there or, you know, I wasn't really pushing too hard. I feel like I had a lot more room to go. I don't feel like I, I did too much cardio. I certainly wasn't sacrificing tissue. I was able to keep all the muscles. So, you know, we say that 1.3 um, pound per week rate loss was you know, pretty reasonable. You know, that, that's fine. Um, so we're, we're dealing at like, you know, 21 pounds over 16 weeks that we could ditch, which means that at 180 where you're starting from, it's not necessarily productive to get anything over 200. Um, just be, uh, if you're planning on a 16 week cut. So just some basic math can kind of help you set some guidelines here. Um, so the, the, the biggest thing about this though, is, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say you've got to stay lean in the off season. You know, if you don't, you're stupid, you're doing it wrong. Why are you people getting fat in the off season? I'm like, just because it works for you doesn't mean it works for everybody. You know, have a little bit of flexibility in and, and stop judging people <laughs> for what they do. I mean, you know, if somebody gets really fat in the off season, first of all, they probably hate themselves already. They don't need you piling your ass on. So just shut up. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. Uh, but you, know, you don't know what works for other people. And a lot of it isn't necessarily what works with your body, but it's what works with your head. You know, off seasons are long in, in, I mean, if you do it right, they can be pretty long. They're hard. They're grueling. You know, you're not seeing day-to-day changes like you do when you're in prep, when you're cutting. So your mental state, I find dur- during an off season for, for me, and again, everybody's different. Um, that's one of the big take home points here is everybody's a little bit different for me. Off season is harder just because it's hard to maintain the focus. And if I'm seeing like really no changes on a week to week basis and the scales kind of just hovering, I, I really, I kind of peter out, you know, it's like, what am I doing? I'm putting in a lot of work. I'm not seeing anything change here. So yeah, bump the calories up, maybe ditch a cardio session here and there. See that number go up. It, I know it's just a number, but mentally it registers as progress and seeing that progress and feeling it helps keep me pushing harder. So that's my mindset. Now, you may be of a mindset where you put on a pound and then suddenly you just feel like a fat ass. You're like, oh God, it's the end of the world. This is awful. Okay. Well, a dirty bulk probably isn't the the choice for you because you're going to put on more than one pound. (laughs) So um, corollary to that. You've got to be, um, you know, I, I always think that you've got to be happy or at least comfortable in your own skin. I've, I've been at the point where I'm not and it's miserable and that just kind of becomes self-defeating. So you've got to be comfortable in your own skin, but you've also got to embrace the fact that when you're your leanest, you're not going to sustain that. So you've got to be able to let go of that a little bit. And um, I talked before about, you know, if you're going to hire a coach, you've got to be comfortable letting that coach pull you out of your comfort zone. That applies to this discussion as well, not just the the how you work out and what type of machinery or equipment you use, um, but this as well. So if you're if you're like you know I I'll, I have to be lean all the time, you know I just I, you know embrace the fact that you know you probably see yourself a little bit differently than everybody else sees you. So suddenly if you know if your if your bicep vein starts to disappear a little bit, you suddenly think you're a fat ass. I'm like, no, no, come on. You know, you can still fit in your jeans, everything's cool. Just embrace the fact that you can put on a couple of pounds and it's not the end of the world. And in fact, um assuming you can wrap your head around how this can actually be productive, um, you know, it's probably going to be more productive. You know, we can get your calories higher. We can get you pushing harder on these lifts. And that intensity in those workouts is where um, the gains come from. That's the driving force behind it. So if we can get some more food in your system, 
then and you know again within reason like if if you struggle with with dealing with putting on a pound i'm not going to ask you to put on 10 or 15 you know but say hey you know we put on a pound that's fine you know if we put on another one two or three or four that's okay you know, I mean, we, we've done this before. We know we can lose it again. So if you can just embrace, you know, coming out of your comfort zone a little bit, I think you'll find it's productive. So, but the, the main thing is everybody's different. There's no right or wrong answer here. So I'm not going to preach and say, you've got to do a dirty bulk because that's what works for me. And, you know, if you don't, you're just not trying hard enough or you're, you're too much of a pansy and you just can't handle it. So bodybuilding isn't for you. Or Conversely, I can't say, well, we've got to do a clean bulk because otherwise you're just going to get fat. And why do you want to do that? You're stupid. I mean, no, there's room for everything. So don't be an absolutist. Learn what works for you. But also, you know, like me, I could probably use a little bit more of clean bulk mentality as well. And I recognize that. So be open to other, um, be open to other options. Try experimenting with some different things down the road. Your next bulk, try approaching it a little bit differently. Talk with your coach about how things worked before, how things felt as you went through it before. Um, you know, and, and again, if, if you find during a prolonged growth phase, like your training intensity starts to lag, the, the way that you approach your growth phase may have something to do with that. So that's worth considering as well. Time to wrap it up. Closing thoughts. I wanted to leave this week with a relatively basic thought, but it's one that I feel is worth revisiting from time to time because there are so many things that we get caught up in in the bodybuilding world, you know, in pursuit of whatever it is we're chasing, trying to gain size, trying to get leaner, X, Y, Z, whatever it happens to be. Whether it's you know the latest fad, like oh I need to get this waist trainer or this you know this thermogenic cream or you know what I really need is some deep tissue work or I should try this cupping stuff I need some KT tape maybe I need a week off you know I need a dietary shakeup let me try a whole thirty diet let me try intermittent fasting. You know, I'm going to try doing a five by five training program, or I'm going to try a small off squat routine. That's what I need. The point is, whether it's the latest supplement, a change in routine, anything like that, all that stuff is, is worth looking into and to some extent, more or less, maybe worth pursuing. None of it is a substitute for just putting in the work day in, day out, expecting more from yourself and refusing to accept the limits that your body wants to put on you. Now, when we push the envelope like that consistently, I mean, yeah, your body's going to start to complain. So probably, you know, some deep tissue massage work is, is probably in order. But thinking it's the solution to your problems. Anything is the solution to anything. You, you, it depends on what your problems are. You may have some problems that do require a solution, but thinking that something, you know, if, if your problem is just, you know, you're stuck, like can't seem to gain any more size, can't seem to get leaner, you know, more than more often than not, um, especially on the gaining size part of that equation, more often than not is just your intensity is kind of in the shitter. So you might just need a little bit of a, a smack up upside the head, a little bit of a wake up call to pull yourself out of the routine that you've established for yourself. And maybe shaking up some variables here isn't a bad thing, but there is no substitute for just putting in really high-quality work on a consistent basis. That's all I wanted to leave you with. So um, we're, uh, we're done for this week. 46 is in the books. So um, we've got a poll up at the website, fivestarphysique.com, talking about how you train your legs. Please 
go vote on that. Um, wherever you get this podcast from, it's, for, if it's from iTunes, some other podcast service, go leave a review. I would appreciate that tremendously. Um, check out the website. It is fivestarphysique.com. You can follow me on Instagram uh, at Darren underscore star, on Twitter at Darren Star, Pinterest, Five Star Physique, YouTube, Five Star Physique, Facebook.com slash Five Star Physique. I appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you very much. We'll be right back here next week. Catch you then.